Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 22nd of November 2010. Now newcomers come in all the time, I know it's monotonous for folk to tune in and hear this at the beginning of every show, but I could certainly scatter it throughout the show and keep plugging myself as well and really tick you off that way as well. Unless you're really used to add so much, you kind of expect them, and I think most folk do actually. Anyway, I'll continue to do this for a little while longer and uh, and tell you that it's going to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Lots of folk do come in, lots of new people do come in all the time, especially young people, and they are the future, and they're the ones who are going to carry the torch to fight the infamy that's going on right now, hopefully, at least some of them. At least, if nothing else, the memory can go down through the ages for however, however long that might be, while we can still think for ourselves at all, that is. So, on CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, remember, help yourself to the audios, where I try to give you a lot of clues, a lot of clues and shortcuts to understanding the big picture. And it's too big for anyone to follow all the incredible thousands and thousands of organizations all working under the pyramid cap. Uh, but they're all working towards the same end. And it's not so difficult to understand since the whole the whole system runs on money. And those at the top uh, own basically the resources of the world and, and print up the money and uh, even lend checks basically to nations to print the money for them, although they expect to get paid back in real estate. I'm talking about countries. That's their real estate really. So it's not hard to understand that you can control thousands of groups, activists and so on, when you control the whole money system, not difficult at all. And in this day of managerial uh, systems and computerization, it's even easier. That's why it's going full steam ahead right now. And while you're in there helping yourself to the audios, remember you can get transcripts too of a lot of the talks in English on all those sites listed on the front page at the com site. If you want transcripts in other language for print up, go into alanwattsentinel.eu and you can help yourself there from a variety of them. And remember, too, you bring me to you. You're the audience. If you want to support me and keep me going, buy the, the books I have for sale. It gives you a start. It wakes you up in it because it's, it's really a different way of give, presenting history. It's a parallel way or an esoteric way of showing you history. You don't need names and dates and people all the time uh, because it's written by authorized authors. That's what they're called, authors. I, I show you the techniques of control of a system down through the ages that's worked long and hard to bring about a particular type of planned society for the whole planet. The planet was always a goal. That's the jewel in the crown, they might say, the whole planet. And we're pretty well there at the moment. So purchase the books and uh, get a start on it and help yourself to the website too for all the information. Uh, remember too, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use personal checks to order. You can use international postal money orders from your post office too from the U.S. to Canada. And you can use cash or PayPal to donate or purchase. If you want to purchase through PayPal, send a donation followed by an email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. And that's the same for the rest of the world. You can use cash, PayPal to order or donate 
And remember, donations are really appreciated too. Doesn't matter how much it is. And you can use, say, cash as well. You can also use an um, international uh, Western Union transfer as well. But they're kind of expensive, or you can use MoneyGram. MoneyGram's cheaper to wire, and it's even cheaper still to get a check from MoneyGram and post it. It only takes a week to get here. So that's the cheapest ways to get things. You always try to save money today with the price of things going up. And believe you me, it takes a lot of money just to do what I'm doing here and to keep all those sites up on the go for as long as we've got them. Because things are changing rapidly and fast. And when you're finding out what's happening, that part's generally over. That's how it works. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, when you are managing your own funds for your house or your apartment or your big expenditures for the week or the month and you try and plan ahead, you often run up against a brick wall because something comes out of the the sidelines and uh, you've already funded. So you have to put your plans off for the future, what you're going to buy, what you're going to do, how you're going to improve something or or what you really need to to be replaced and you put that off, and that's how people are. That's that's a practical, natural, natural thing to do. Now, have you noticed that when 2001 happened, you already had the massive environmental push already? And at that time, the environmental push was promoting mainly conservation, taking over lands uh, through the United Nations, even land for debt swaps and stuff like this through the World Bank and the United Nations, a takeover of the world that way, but it was always under the the guise of, of uh, conservation and um, sustainability. Big, big movements. And that also came out of the same movement that used that as a cover, which used to promote itself as eugenics, a scientific socialist type society where the proper kind of humans living on the planet would not abuse it, they'd live in harmony with each other, they'd be placid and congenial towards each other, and everyone would share and be happy in this wonderful utopia. But the, their biggest problems were those with the wrong genes, the inferior types too, that cost money, were not economically feasible to keep going, so you would make sure that the government stated who would get, would be born, who wouldn't be born, according to their genealogy, their possibility of having any defects, and all that kind of stuff. And they're actually doing that stuff in hospitals now too. We amniocentesis, and they say, well, your chi- child may be born with this, may be born with that, and boom, an abortion goes. And that's quite uh, a matter of normal everyday course nowadays. So you do achieve your aims if you just reword things and promote it through science, you see. Science covers everything now. You can, you can get anything you want if you give it a scientific meaning terminology and a bit of confusion to, to mask its real motives and so on. Uh, so this, uh, the groups of environmentalists, as I say, were always eugenicists at heart and funded by big people at the top, haven't changed. They've covered themselves with the big green cloak, of course, uh, which doesn't surprise me because you've got to understand your colors if you want to understand the societies which run. Red is for blood and for revolution. Green is a sacred color for the finish of it all. I hope you understand this. what even was behind communism as well. It goes back into the mystery religions, very, very old stuff. And 
So there's the same uh, really uh, scientific socialism that's been promoted under many, many covers. And why after 9-11 and the bombings and the, the worldwide war and terror, which is a war of terror to take all your rights away, and everyone going bankrupt after that too, getting plundered by the bankers and then getting put down as collateral. We have to, we're guarantee, guarantors to pay this, all these loans back and the children for the next 25 generations to come by the looks of it with compound interest. Why would you still rush ahead even faster with carbon taxes and all these new taxes, etc., and, um, and personal carbon taxes and, and national or state, as I don't know what they call the nations, state uh, carbon taxes, energy taxes. Why would you put all that through when you're already bankrupt, supposedly, and people are already going down? It's not to help keep a system, obviously. It's to change the system. That's why they're doing it. As I say, if you were, had to buy a new bed because you'd worn your mattress right through because it was so darned old, you'd have to postpone it if you got an extra bill and you couldn't afford it. Well, not with governments, because they're all on course and have been for a long time on the same worldwide agenda. It's a scientific socialist type agenda. And to them, this is the right time to push all of this through. It's, it's the right time to do it. You'll find that um, thousands, literally thousands of organizations are working very fast and having world meetings every week now, all over the place, different groups of them, incredibly well-funded from the big multi-billionaires of the planet, uh, and then they come home and push through agreements, getting your, your, your prime ministers to do it, they're getting your, your state representatives to do it, your provincial representatives in Canada, uh, making binding agreements with themselves into regionalizations, without even bothering to go through the federal side of things. And and on and on it goes. And it's given almost lip service, if any service at all, by the media, because the media was never the people's media in the first place. It was never meant to keep you informed of everything you should really know to make intelligent, informed decisions. It's meant to sway you along with the herd and the big stampede as they guide us and their thoughts and their conclusions and their opinions in the same direction. So you have this massive fear, which is always generated by a war of terror, you see, or a reign of terror, as they used to call it before, when governments do this kind of thing to their own people and people outside their countries. And then you have a, a, a reign of terror of uh, environmentalism at the same time, and they turn around and they blame the victims, the people themselves, for causing it which is wonderful because the richest people on the planet who owned all the factories have now moved their own factories to China, of course, uh, and still profiting incredibly as you purchase all the rubbish from China, uh, because it is rubbish, really, it's it's inferior quality stuff. It's not meant to last. Uh, These guys are laughing up their sleeves as they turn around now and and blame you for causing the pollution in the countries that just plundered and left and all the devastation they leave behind them. Mind you, it's well known that the taxpayer always picks up the tab to clean up the old abandoned areas after they've left and gone. Standard procedure. But as I say, it's it's, it's really compounded by the massive uh, rush towards getting all these carbon taxes through. Now, they started with global warming until that fell away and it was proven that we're actually cooling. Uh, And, of course... I said at the time it wouldn't make any difference if God himself came down 
and, uh, and, and yapped to the whole world in some incredibly loud voice that this was all BS. They'd have to nuke God because they ain't going to change this for anybody. This agenda. It's a said agenda, you understand. The UN wanted maximum power and taxation powers years ago over the whole world. And they've tried a thousand different angles to get it. They've got a lot of this stuff before the, the greening nonsense came up. But this is the final push so that they'll manage complete taxation across the world through various front organizations, of course, private organizations and various private banking systems. There is a long-term agenda. It's been here for long before I was born or my parents or my grandparents, long before them. Well-planned, well-orchestrated. It works in 50-year plans, 100-year plans for different parts of it. And that's why it's been pulled off today. Remember all the chants for Obama, change is good, like a bunch of sheep, Orwell's sheep, an animal farm. Four legs good, two legs bad. Without asking why, or what change are you talking about? What kind of changes? This change is good for the sheep to part back to them. It's complete change into a brand new world system with a new way of living where you're going to have communitarianism. I've gone through that for ages. Communitarianism is the way it's to go, is to pretend to uh, basically decentralize power from the central governments down to the local governments. And again, a private-public partnership deal. But really, you'll have your representatives, your local Soviet leaders, your NGOs. The Soviet had lots of NGOs for every different department, NGOs appointed by the Politburo, mind you. And they already have your little NGO leaders picked. They'll be your community spokespersons and ones who'll go to the International Monetary Fund for your, your borrowing for your area. And other ones who'll go and pretend to plead for your food rationing too, because that is going to come. That is going to come. That's on the books. That is on the books. The coming food crisis, the, the Chatham House Group, which is the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the, the, the parent body for the Council of Foreign Relations, go into their website and look at, the, look at their own website talking about the coming food shortage. And they've been working for over 15 years with think tanks on this coming problem, which they're going to create, you see. This is the wonderful world they're bringing in. And, of course, the redistribution of wealth is a great con, which is right off, out of Marxism the planks of the manifesto, and the whole group behind Marx, of course, to redistribute wealth, supposedly, each according to his needs and means and all the rest of it. So it's back to the dialectical materialistic philosophies that they're pushing today. But it's not for themselves, the ones at the top. You see, to rule the world, you must live higher than the rest of the public, and you must be exempt from all the impositions you impose upon them. Now, I've gone through the history of the International Monetary Fund in previous talks. I've gone through the guys that set up the International Monetary Fund and what it was supposed to do. It's a private organization, remember? It's so wonderful, the names that they use on things. To me, you think it's so legalistic. Like somehow you, you, you conceded to it in the first place or had a vote in it. No, you didn't. Any more than you had a vote to bring in the United Nations into being. These are private organizations. 
Remember what Professor Carl Quigley said. He said, the new system is a new feudalistic system. And that the new overlords will be CEOs of international corporations. That's your new system, public-private. Anyway, getting back to this article here, here's the International Monetary Fund, which is supposed to go up to its full level now. It's time, as John Maynard Keynes said before he died. He said he wouldn't be around with the, the other ones who set it up to see it come to its total fruition, where it would be the head honcho bank, along with the World Bank, for doling out the cash to the rest of the planet, for a control mechanism. That's what it was for. Control mechanism. Not to help some poor people across the world somewhere. Now we're back with more after this break. Folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix and and just prattling on a little bit about the International Monetary Fund. And people have to do their own, own homework. They really do have to do their own homework. Those who are really, really interested will do it. The rest of them just want passing data, which passes through their head and, and really makes room for the next bit of useless data that they, they want to take in from some crazy sites or whatever. But in other words, they're just enjoying themselves. That they're, they're hooked and addicted to surfing. But if you're investigating, you're very selective in what you want, and you don't get distracted as you go on and see this and see that at the side of the pages. You've got to do your own research and start thinking for yourself. So here's the IMF. Remember here, you're down and out on the canvas like the boxing ring. You've been plundered. You've been, you've been, you're under a war of terror, supposedly, or a war on terror, and you're, you're, you're bankrupt. And you've got, now you're going to go through into this whole new carbon credits and so on, and personal carbon credits and energy credits. Do you know how much it takes to keep you alive? Should we keep you alive? Are you worth it to the, to the, great, uh, the great good, the global good, the greater good? Are you worth it? What is your life worth? You know, prove it. And this is all coming. It's all here. This is the old, the old utopia that Wells talked about and others of his ilk talked about in the Fabian Society. It is here. And they were only part of this great tentacle system, the tentacles all over the place. Anyway, the IMF chief Dominique Strauss-Kahn uh, urges leader to cede, uh, leaders to cede more sovereignty to the EU. Now, the EU is a new Soviet. For, for those who don't know what it, a Soviet is, check your history. If you can still find any, they've, they've eradicated so much of it since the Berlin Wall went down of what it actually was. It's quite astonishing how fast they can act. And now communism was just a nice phase on the way to a new society. And that, of course, was the Marxist theology, basically, that was a science of man, and this was inevitable, this would happen to him, would come through the capitalist phase, and then go into this new new phase of communism, and then you'd blend communism with capitalism to bring out a form of social economic systems. That's what we're supposed to be in today. And that's what these guys spout, although they're lying, because there's another religion behind it, actually. But anyway... He says that the European nations need to cede more of their sovereignty and hand greater powers to the centre, to the centre, right, to avoid future crisis, the head of the International Monetary Fund has said. 
So it says, uh, and who are likely to prove controversial proposals, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the IMF managing director, called on the European Union to move responsibly for fiscal discipline and structural reform to a central body that is free from the influences of member states. I don't like the word nations anymore, because you see, that will eventually get eradicated from the dictionary, like so much has gone before it. So they call it states. States is what you used to call under under uh, an empire, like the, the British called their, their far ones states, you see. Anyway, it's just in a speech in Frankfurt, of course, where else addressing the sovereign debt crisis engulfing Europe. Once again, he said, the wheels of cooperation move too slowly. The centre must seize initiative in all areas key to reaching the common destiny of the Union. Do you know there's a destiny of the Union? Go and look up the word destiny, folks. Hmm? For you, for you that think we're just bungling along and groping in the dark, trying to get, get ourselves out of terrible times by amalgamating whole nations and, and losing nations in the process into the new Soviet. It says, especially in financial, economic, and social policy. So we've got a destiny of the Union, which includes financial, economic, and social policy. Eh? Mm. Countries must be willing to cede more authority to the center to the center, you see. So I guess this is a new term they're going to use and we'll all start parting the center, the center, because that's how they, they introduce this, these, kind of, these kind of little phrases to you to become buzzwords until we think, like, like global warming, yeah? global warming. Now it's just climate change, climate change. Well, you should call that weather. Weather's always changing. But you don't have to pay through it for it through the nose. So Europe is played by crisis because member states put too much faith in banks and let their public finances run out of control. Who's this guy talking? Look at his history. Go and look at his history, this guy, this banker here, who says we put too much faith in banks <laughs> and let their public finances run out of control. Then he goes on about Greece and so on. Ireland, of course, have already... I knew they'd batter Ireland because it stood up against so many of the treaties and they would make an example of them. So Ireland's going bankrupt and... They're going to try and bail them out as well, supposedly, meaning they'll have utterly, utterly no say in anything regarding themselves from now on. That's the deal. And Portugal also may follow pretty quickly afterwards. This is the change. This is the change that is good, folks, for those who haven't quite caught on yet. And and then you go into the one that links up to for Ireland itself from the CBC, that's Canadian, or we used to call it Communist Broadcasting Corporation because that's who staffed it in Canada, still do. Uh, but it says Ireland opts for bailouts. It says um, the Irish finance, finance Minister Brian Lenehan arrived in European Union Finance Minister's meeting in Brussels last Wednesday. And then it, the, uh, it broke on Sunday saying the bailout would provide firepower to back the country's debt-ridden banks. No kidding, eh? No kidding. No kidding. Do you know how they helped to, to really bankrupt them too? Have you looked at all the meat recalls the EU put on them for literally millions and millions and millions of euros that they had to just destroy? There was nothing wrong with the meat. There's so many ways to take a country down, you know, and bankrupt you. So many, many ways by the guys who control the political system and the money system together. Back with more after this.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. It is interesting, you know, when you when you just look at the, the, the stuff that's in front of your face, as I say, growing up, and you'd be surprised how much you've taken in you haven't really thought through, but it's all sitting there in your head. All you have to do is find ways to connect it together, and once you're on the right track, you start thinking for yourself, which is a dangerous thing to do in this day and age. Now, thinking might be regarded eventually as an act of terrorism, you don't know where it will lead to. It's like Matt Zitong said, he wasn't scared of, of uh, people with weaponry or so on, and armies. He was scared of someone with a, an, an idea, an idea which could change the world, you see, because they themselves were going by people with ideas that gave them their system that he was actually helping to spearhead. So you'd be surprised what's inside your head. And as an aside, but it ties into this article I'm about to read here, uh, when you look into the strange history of, say, Marxism, for instance, and coming up at the same time as the flourish in Freemasonry, along with it too, and the Brotherhood of Man stuff that we're pushing from the 1700s, and Marxism, say, was a long, came out of a long, a long chain of revolutionaries, you might call them, who had an idea of the kind of where they were taking the world. Again, funded by very wealthy people. But we have Weishaupt tied into this too. There's no doubt about it. Weishaupt himself went through Freemasonry big time and talked about um, using foundations or charitable institutions to change the world. These would run eventually parallel to governments and actually be super-governmental because they could create changes within society and societies by going transcontinental and, cro- and even across the waters, pan-American, uh, etc., that kind of stuff with, with Britain, and, and creating the changes in all countries at the same time. So social change was, was, could be done through these various charities or foundations, which would also, of course, have great hold on the media. In fact, a lot of, they bought the media, a lot of them. Anyway... Here's an article here which ties in with uh, with this. But remember, too, these so-called uh, Masonic organizations were into really odd stuff, very odd stuff uh, back in the 1700s. And we find this even from Benjamin Franklin's writings. We find he belonged to the Dashwood Club in High Wycombe, outside London, Virtual London. And uh, they literally had uh, what, what you'd call tantric sex with these so-called dolly prostitutes that were specially selected prostitutes from lineages of high birth. They weren't ordinary prostitutes because you had to get permission to mate with them. The whole idea was going back all the way to Plato where, where if you had shown an ability to help the great work in the past, then your reward was to mate and have offspring. So you, being a genius naturally, and, and who, with the woman carrying the genius gene, would create a better genius. That's basically the whole philosophy. Uh, the same thing if you wanted uh, a, good, a good guy for mathematics, you'd breed that person with a woman who had a good ability of, with mathematics. And that was a whole Plato idea of uh, the Republic special breeding for the guardian class. 
And then, of course, in the 1700s, they had a lot of Kabbalism, big time, all the way back to to John Dee, in fact. You find this Kabbalah cropping up everywhere as they mixed it with science, partly to cover what they were really doing, but also to bring in the mystery part of things to, to obfuscate what they were up to. And you find that many big players, even the Royal Society, were into this this Kabbalistic thing where they talked about what is now called tantric sex, basically. The magical child comes out of this idea too, the perfect child of the perfect union, you see, with those with the perfect genes. And then even in, I was looking at a recent movie with Sherlock Holmes, with the recent one that came out, and in there the plot centers around um, this little group, this high Freemasonic group that runs England basically and its government, and I think it's the head chancellor is the grand master of it, and he, he admits that his nasty son, who is the antithesis of Sherlock Holmes, um, this this nasty son was that was the offspring of tantric sex that they'd had in the lodge. It's interesting they're bringing all that stuff out now when it's actually been on the books, but tucked away carefully for so long. But once again, back to Weishaupt, he talked about um, charitable foundations. Of course, a lot of the Freemasonic organizations are registered as brotherhoods and charities. And then we have the big foundations, the Rockefellers and so on, they're in for social change, but it's directed change only. It's like when you go into, um, you become a multi-millionaire, you're made to be a multi-millionaire like Oprah by getting promoted with certain topics on television to influence the public. You make a star. And, and it's strange when they get to that multi-multi-millionaire status, they suddenly become advocates for all the same thing, which is depopulation, isn't it? Like Bill Gates and so on. It must just hit you when you hit that level of, of, of dollars. Bing, it goes off in your head and you become, oh, you've got to cut the population. It must just hit you automatically. It must be a natural law or something. Hmm? Do you really think so? A charity with plenty of long tentacles. Listen to this one. Friday, November the 19th. This is from the National Post. It's not a some little side rag. And it says, um, in late October, a group of environmental and social justice activists met at a remote lodge on Cortez Island, 150 kilometers north of Vancouver, up the Georgia Strait. The four-day gathering was billed as a social change institute. Or Obama was there, a social change institute. An event that says it gathers seasoned and emerging leaders, seasoned and emerging leaders, with thinkers and trainers, trainers from the change-making world. You got that now? It's been happening for years. Did you know it existed? There's only one of many. The lodge is called the Hollyhock Center. They always have holly, you see, in the word, because that's the big staff, of course, of the magician. A new age retreat, a new age retreat renowned for its holistic healing centers, shaman drum-making workshops, and tantric sacred sexuality seminars. Did you imagine that the global leaders and multimillionaires, the ones who are leading you all down the garden path, go into all this stuff? Did you know that? Do you think it's just a recent thing? Maybe this boredom is making them do it. Stop before you conjure up images of hippies dreaming of a utopian free love world. The Social Change Institute is a magnet for professionals, professional activists, professional environmentalists. Professional environmentalists, the tin can guys? No, these guys get pension plans and incredible salaries and office towers. And yes, professional business people and politicians, so they go into tantric sex as well. 
Mind you, they're a weird lot anyway. One does not sign up for the SCI. One applies and is accepted or not. The 12-hectare centre, which started life in the early 1980s, precisely as something resembling a hippie caricature, has been transformed into the virtual headquarters of a powerfully sophisticated and coordinated network of people who are mobilising millions of dollars towards systemic social change focused in one region, as Hollyhock President Joel Solomon has described his mission. On his side are wealthy trust fund progenies, powerful U.S. business leaders, billion-dollar American foundations, a web of environmental groups and prominent Vancouver political players. One of them just signed an agreement in Mexico just the other day there, one of these Vancouver political players, and the public know nothing about it to regionalize their area with, with California. Anyway, the region under focus for systemic change is Western Canada. The funding is frequently foreign aid, or foreign and Canadians may not know it, like George Soros, you see, but Canadians might not know it yet, but the program is already well underway. It's a, in a promotional video praising the Institute's work, one attendee notes, I think we're starting to see ourselves as parts of a whole rather than as separate pieces. And that coordination, cooperation and collective power is precisely the point of the Social Change Institute. And not just the Institute, it's a point of all the efforts Mr. Solomon has brilliantly coordinated into a breathtakingly enterprising strategy. Mr. Solomon is the Vice Chair of Tides Canada, T-I-D-E-S, and a Director of Former Chairman of Tides American Board. So there's, there's your two countries there. He And he's a major reason Tides has been pumping money into environmental and social activist groups that have been fighting fish farms in British Columbia, the oil sands in Alberta, logging in the burial forest, and dozens of other anti-industrial campaigns. Most any prominent green group you might think of has probably been on Tide's list of recipients. Tide's also provides charitable assistance to the Thai. Its website shows an NDP, that's the National Democratic Party, which is a bit left of marks, friendly online magazine. Tide's has hired government lobbyists, uh, former officials, and affiliates of Tide's, meanwhile have influenced at the highest levels of Vancouver City government, including his eco-chic mayor, Gregor Robertson, who has made... Well, actually, he was at that meeting to Mexico to sign for the agreement to, to merge with, uh, with um, California, who's made his explicit goal to turn Vancouver into the greenest city in the world. Some of the biggest donors to his campaign and that of his vision, Vancouver Party, are also connected to Tides. That's no kidding, though. That mayor went, went to uh, the international mayor's meeting just this weekend, I think it was, in Mexico and signed on uh, to do regional structure where they're, they're merging the western uh, provinces with the western states. They've been actually at this for, for about 10 years now, by the way, signing more and more integration. They've won as well for the Midwest, and then one again for the mid part, and then the east coast as well, to do regionalized structure, which is under the, the guise, under the auspices of the UN, of course. Anyway, it's the Tides Foundation has some very long, strong tentacles in all sorts of businesses that all support Vision Vancouver, not as a political party, but as a movement, and this is extremely troubling, says Alex Tsukamis, a former political analyst for the newspaper 24 Hours and former director of Vancouver's Municipal Nonpartisan Association Opposition Party, who blogs on political affairs. And Joel Solomon is the green father, if you will, behind the social engineering movement. He's not really, he's the front man. 
at an SCI gathering, a representative for, for a forest ethics, a bumptious American antagonist of Canadian forestry and oil industries, announces we need to gain power. It's all about power, they say. A visitor from the Dogwood Initiatives, which pursues a roughly similar agenda, proclaims we have an incredibly ambitious agenda we have to achieve, unprecedented in the history of humanity. The head of environmental defense talks of advancing things that can be implemented right away that are tailor-made to be implemented by a receptive government. If corralling uh, the, the kind of money that can bring corporate-scale power and disciplining the social change lobby is the goal, an organization such as Tides is certainly a good place to start. It was designed by its American founder, Drummond Pike, very interesting name, in 1976, to be a vehicle through which large donors could give immense sums of cash. Now, who would these donors be, eh? Hmm? Uh, you'll find it's the same donors that are running your world financial system, which Tides could then redirect to non-profit recipients. There would be no public connection between the originator of the funds, much of the more than, uh, than 700 million U.S. dollars Tides has given away in the U.S. and Canada since 2000. That's what they've given away. To, to, to see, how can you compete with this? How can you compete with $700 million to say we're not putting up with your BS? Hmm? And that's, that's who's funding all these green characters, professional agitators, and so on. $700 million. It's as much as of the $700 million Tides has given away in the U.S. and Canada since 2000 has come from esteemed American foundations such as the Pew Charitable Trusts, the Rockefeller Brothers, well, naturally, the, uh, the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundations, and others controlling billions of dollars between them and the recipients who eventually got the cash. Under the direction of the American Tides Center, the organization branches of Tides, whose recipients eventually included, beside hospitals, schools, religious groups, and museums, a catalog of left-wing causes, everything from anti-war groups and anti-gun groups to pro-choice efforts, gay marriage advocates, and numerous environmental causes, ranging from the mainstream such as Ducks Unlimited, and that's a, a nice cover, that Ducks Unlimited, believe you me, to more hardcore anti-industry groups like Corporate Ethics International, an organization that this year launched the Rethink Alberta boycott against the province's tourism industry to protest the oil sands. The oil sands is where they can take oil out of, and it's a big project. They're trying to sell it off. I think China put a bid in for it. And then Vivian Krauss, an independent Vancouver researcher who's investigated ties, discovered that the organization's U.S. tax returns, that its Canadian and American arms, have together helped more than 30 organizations campaigning against Alberta's oil sands with roughly $6 million in funding just for that one job. This is only one organization here funding this. Titus launched a campaign to stigmatize the oil sands, and with a $4.3 million specifically earmarked for what Titus calls its tar sands campaign, Titus refers to its role of separating donors from recipients as donor-advised giving. The website for the Center for Consumer Freedom, a U.S. market-minded advocacy group, calls it less than a philanthropy than a money-laundering enterprise. See, that's closer to the mark. Taking money from other foundations and spending as a donor requires. It's a form of government paid through money for lobbying, protesting, and all the rest of it. Mr. Solomon's office voicemail instructs callers that he can only be reached by email, but Mr. Solomon did not respond to five emails sent over the course of two weeks requesting an interview. Nor did Tides Canada representatives respond to calls seeking comment. 
Mr. Solomon is, according to friends, rather media shy, I bet he is. But in the few public interviews, he recounts how he was raised in a staunchly democratic faith of Chattanooga Jews. <laughs> His father, Jay, a wealthy suburban mall developer, was a key Jimmy Carter organization, organizer in Tennessee, and Mr. Carter appointed him to head the Federal General Services Administration in 1977, the department that manages federally owned buildings, although he was let go after two years. Insiders told People magazine he may have been too open with the press. So, this is the kind of stuff that's running your world, your countries, and all the the groups that you think are just uh, natural groups that are coming out at the right time to protest and push for certain changes, all funded by the biggest, richest foundations and people on the planet. Because change is good, you see. I wonder how much change you get from $700 million, a few pennies perhaps. That's only change, you'll see. That's one organization. There's lots of them. Lots of them. All over the world. And it's nothing for the big boys to put money. It's just blips on a computer moving from here to there. They run the stock markets. They run everything. They run your politicians. (laughs) That's quite something, eh? Quite something. And then this article here. Now I'll put these links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Remember, at the end of the show. I read years ago uh, about uh, from some of the Council on Foreign Relations' own books, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the English branch's own books, and even from the writings of the man who taught some of the biggest Rhodes Scholars who went across the world to take up government positions, and some of them became prime ministers, in fact. And... Um, he talked about the, sh- the shifting change would eventually go to China. And I think that's the music coming in. I'm not sure. I think it is. Anyway, I'll be back and I'll read this to you about China and how they've never changed their plans. Back after this. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, as I say, Arnold Toynbee taught so many Rhodes Scholars and he wrote massive volumes of works, compendiums of histories and so on, trying to rationalize and justify why we have to globalize eventually because man's just too primitive and he can't run his own affairs. And only under a global body of the proper kind of people, of course, can we become civilized and so on, scientific socialism. But he was a member too of the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the whole, uh, as we know, the, the Rhodes Scholarship blended into as part of, along with the Milner Group, the big bankers, and became the Royal Institute of International Affairs, pushing the same agenda. Now, one of his books I've written about 1940s, I think it was, maybe even the 30s, he talked about the U.S. and its power. Because, you see, the power from Britain and its empire, which was a nucleus, a nucleus for a world society, a world dominion, you might say, was to go to the U.S., and it did after World War I. It was handed to it, so they took up the financial burden and supply the main power, the cannon fodder, and build all the weaponry and do the rest of the job, which is done too. But he mentioned eventually it would wane and it would retaliate and come back again a couple of times, then wane again, and then it would fall, 
financially completely broke, he said, you know. And then China, which when he spoke now, China was a third world country. They didn't have the factories or anything because they hadn't signed, signed the GATT Treaty from the World Trade Organization that allowed all your factories to be transposed by your tax money over to China. But so here was a third world country when he said this. He said eventually the China will, will take over as policemen of the world because they'll be up and running and so on. He just knew that. See, these guys are awfully psychic. They, they have crystal balls, eh? They don't have an agenda. No, no, no. They're psychic. Anyway, global governance is faltering and China's grip on the global economy is getting tighter, says philanthropist, you know, charitable foundation again, and former hedge fund manager, guess who, George Soros, the guy who plunders countries, maybe planets too, for all we know. eh? So Mr. Soros chose not to attack the U.S. for revving up its printing presses in its new round of quantitative easing, which is inflation, focusing instead on China's foreign exchange policies. Well, its foreign exchange policies is we export everything and bring in nothing. Except your technology, that was written into the WTO. That it wouldn't have to import. That's why the balance of trade is, is all sunk in one direction, like a ship going down. Speaking at Gallo, hosted by the Canadian International Council, is it the Canadian International Council in Toronto? Mr. Soros said China's devalued currency manipulates global trade and distorts the global economic recovery. President Obama's got the short end of the stick, Soros said. Not only is the president getting attacked within his own country, foreign governments are against him, even though China's policies are just as significant. In Mr. Soros' view, both countries are at fault, yet he added that both of their policies can work together if used in moderation. There ought to be some kind of balance or compromise between them, he said. Mr. Soros did not let the U.S. off the hook, noting that quantitative easing has harmful side effects. No kidding, inflation has bad side effects. This is the guy who bankrupted Britain some years back with two of his pals, the way they manipulated the stock market, bought it all back for peanuts. Britain had to go to the World Bank, you know, George's cousins, and borrow money to get it afloat again. And the taxpayer had to pay for it. History shows that it gives no rise to asset bustles, bubbles and it disrupts foreign exchange markets. But then he goes on to praise China and says that it's got a better government system than the U.S. And that the U.S. could maybe emulate it. Well, isn't that like the model state for the world, according to the UN? What a coincidence it all ties together, isn't it? Oh, there's no conspiracy here, folks. It's just do-gooders and philanthropists and charities with billions and trillions of dollars that are just leading you along, holding the torch. From Hamish myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.